0: All right, everybody. Well, uh, welcome not only to Mother's Day service, but welcome to the end, um, the end of our Acts series. Uh, hope, and thank you, by the way, for hanging in there. I remember one time, in a, I was an associate pastor at a church, and the the church was going to do a building project, and they were actually going to build a sanctuary complex, move across town, and so the pastor had the brilliant uh, the brilliant idea to preach a series on Nehemiah that would correspond with the campaign, the fundraising. And so, 17 weeks into his sermon series, one day, a very wealthy gentleman in the church came up and he said, Brian, I'll make a deal with you. If you will end this series, I will pay for the building myself. (laughs) So thanks for being a little kinder to me than that. Um, But here we are at the, at the, the uh, the last sermon on Acts. And so what I'm going to do is I'll just kind of remind us where we are in the story, set the stage, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. So um, as, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen that Paul has basically been in and out of court, um, different accusations. He stood before a judge, in front of other judges, but he's just, man, He's he's been all tied up with the, the justice system, and every time, though, he's walked free, he's um, been pronounced non-guilty every single time. But then in Acts 26, Paul pulls a baffling move when he appeals directly to Caesar. And according to Roman law, if a Roman citizen does that in a court setting back then, they have to move him along. And so Festus and Augustus from Acts 26, they, they just can't believe that Paul has done this. Now, we're not baffled, however, because we know that Paul has a promise from Jesus. And the promise is that he will go to Rome, which is pretty much a, a, an unchristian society, unreached place. He's going to go there, and he is going to proclaim the name of Jesus to Caesar and, of course, to a bunch of citizens. So there you go. The stage is set. Let me pray for us, and then let's see what happens next. Father God, we, uh, we just confess together that so often we get the story wrong. Um, we equate blessing and your favor and your goodness in our lives with easy times, um, smooth sailing, uh, all kinds of things that we call blessing. And yet, God, the, the truth is that you, you meet us in the storms of life. Um, God, you use all kinds of variables that are uncomfortable and inconvenient to shape us and to do greater things, Lord, to get people's attention that would never be listening So, Father, we just today, we want to lean into this story. God, we want to see you at work. And then, Lord, we want to move through this life um, looking at you, rejoicing in you. Uh, We want to join you in the adventure that you have for us as your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, today in Acts 27 and 28, Paul is going to set sail for Rome. Um, He is going to get on a boat a large ship with almost 300 unsaved soldiers and sailors and prisoners and cargo. So if you're listening, even the cargo doesn't know Jesus on this boat, okay? So he, he's put in this place, and they begin, okay? They begin, and the way they did it back then is they would sail from port to port. Um, Bill, I know you'll understand this because you and I have done a little bit of sailing. But they, back then, they, they, they did a lot of what they called tacking. And they would just move, you know, through a channel from side to side. And it was just the the way they did it back then. And uh, so they take off, and there's there's a problem. Um, It doesn't show up immediately, but it shows up pretty quickly. And it's that the time of year they are setting sail in is late in the year. And so apart from Paul and all these prisoners and, you know, the Lord who is over all of this, we're going to have another character enter into the story pretty quickly, Uh, a character known as the weather. Uh, It starts off, seems like it's okay, but there are a few erratic winds that begin to kind of enter into the scene, and uh, the problem is it's getting worse daily. Um, Day after day, the weather is just starting to turn, and by the way, as I studied this, all I could think about was the opening to Gilligan's Island, you know, the weather started getting rough, and I laugh my way through this thing. Um, so so what, what now begins to develop is they, they now have to change course. Um, they have to go to places they didn't expect to go to. They have to stay in port longer than usual, waiting for breaks in the weather. And uh, so you can kind of feel the tension building here. And Paul, one day, uh, becomes quite concerned, and he goes up to those in charge, and he says this in Acts 27.10. He says, men... I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and to our lives also. So pretty big statement from Paul. And the centurion who is kind of in charge of all this, you know, the the Roman in charge of getting Paul to Rome, he, he hears this, you know, he hears Paul out, but he still chooses to listen to the ship owner and the pilot who have another message. And the message is keep on for Rome. Don't stop the trip. Now, before we judge the centurion as being reckless or negligent, what he's doing makes sense, listening to them and not to Paul. Um, uh, because after all, the ship owner, he owns the ship, okay? Um, the pilot is in charge of the voyage. So if there are voices of authority and voices of experience, it's the ship owner and it's the pilot. And yet, there's another factor at play. Um, We know that the Apostle Paul has a profound ability to hear God speak. I mean, God has directed this man, the Holy Spirit, with such precision. And we have seen God say something to Paul in Acts and come through later on. So so we've got that at play, but Paul also is a very experienced traveler. You know, if you you open the, the back of your Bibles to that little map, Paul's journey's Add up how much time he spends at sea. How much do you think it is? I'll take a guess. 3,500 miles. So Paul's not just spitballing here. You know, he's not just making it up. He both can hear God, and he also knows uh, what usually happens in a situation like this. Nevertheless, they continue on, and fall continues to deepen, and they leave the Greek island of Crete, and it happens. A nor'easter, okay, I know it says nor, northeaster in your Bibles, but I live five years in Boston, it's nor'easter. A nor'easter sweeps down off the mountains and hits the Mediterranean Sea, and y'all, a nor'easter is no joke. Um, fortunately, they only lasted, you know, we'd have a couple days of them in Boston. It, it's like a tropical storm. You know, they can carry snow, rain, but the wind is all out of control. And if you have ever, Bill, I hope this never happened to you. If you have ever been out in the ocean or a large, you know, kind of body of water like a sea during a storm, it is terrifying. And it is incredible what happens out there between the wind and the waves. But here they don't even have a motor on their boat. So they are literally being driven by the storm. There's very, very little control, and before long, the ship is at the mercy of the wind. The pilot is no longer in charge. You know, the the crew can't row their way out of this. It's just whatever happens next is whatever happens. And it gets so bad, and it lasts so long that they have to lash the boat together. Now, what that means is they either passed a cable underneath the hull, and pulled it together at the top to hold the thing from coming apart, or they strapped it across the top with the crossbeams. So the ship is in danger of literally coming apart on them as they sail. Uh, they also take their anger, and I've never heard of this sailing tactic. They throw their anchor in as an emergency brake, and then they finally start throwing things overboard. Cargo, even Equipment. And Luke writes this in verse 20. Okay, just so we capture what this is like, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And what he means is there was no way we were gonna survive the storm. Everybody gave up. I mean, it it was over in our hearts and in our minds. And it's at this moment that Paul steps back into the, 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 the scene, into the picture in verse 22, and he says this, men, I urge you to keep up your courage, Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong uh, belong and serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Now, what Paul is doing here is brilliant, okay? He chooses this moment to do something, and that's to introduce all these men, you know, who, who are pagans. They're lost. They're outside of the kingdom of God. He chooses this moment to introduce them to the God he worships and he serves. Now, why is this brilliant, okay? It is brilliant because desperate people have a way of tuning in, okay, and... Um, fear, pain, tragedy, danger, it gets our attention, and people perk up. People pay attention. Tune in. Um, I I remember back when I was in NASCAR, I was their chaplain, their kind of preacher. Um, You know, a few of these guys knew and loved the Lord and would join me for Bible study. Um, Most of them not real close, okay, Uh, pretty much outside, I could tell you stories, but I won't, but you know, they're they're, they're not walking with the Lord, but I'll tell you one thing, just before the race, right, all the cars are lined up, every single race, I'd start at the back, and I'd walk my way forward, and I'd go, hey, do you want to pray, do you want to pray, do you want to pray, would you like to pray before the race, yes, 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 yes. you know Why? Because they're getting ready to get into a car and drive 200 miles an hour and everybody's switching lanes. They are trading paint, all I'm wrecking out all kinds of things. In that moment, it's amazing how tuned in to the, the possibility of God and, and the presence of God in, in their lives and in their car was. And so Paul now introduces them to the God who has promised to save them. Brilliant. Um. Then, uh, uh, despite Paul's words, a few of the sailors decide that they're going to make a run for it. Um, They decide to sneak off the lifeboat, and Paul, either, again, being tipped off by God or just seeing what they're up to, he says this in verse 31, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved, or you can even translate it to, we might not be saved. And so what happens The Roman soldiers go and they cut the cords of those lifeboats, uh, the lifeboat, and it drifts off. Again, just showing us that uh, these men, uh, Paul has gotten these men's attention. No one is dismissing Paul anymore. Well, Paul then urges everyone to eat because according to Scripture, it has been 14 days since their last meal. And while we might think, well, that's an exaggeration, that seems a bit extreme, I just think about the circumstances, you know. What have they been focused on? Surviving the storm, right? I mean, everybody's pulling together to keep this boat together. Uh, it, I, I also think it would probably be a little difficult to cook. We, you know, when the boat is doing this, that's probably pretty tough. It's most likely a whole bunch of real, real sick, uh, seasick people. Um, and, and, and Paul just, I mean, th- this, this horrific storm has gotten their attention. Their attention's on staying staying afloat. And so, so Paul directs them. Um, then Paul urges everyone to pray with him, okay? What is Paul doing now? Again, gently introducing them to the God that is going to save them. And it, it's just so neat here. He urges them to eat. He points them toward God. And this is a moment when we really get an insight into Paul's character. Um, I'll put it this way. there, There is an old Christian, uh, an old saying, about Christians, alright, it comes out of the South, maybe y'all use it here, I haven't heard anyone use it, but the, the saying goes this way, it says, some Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, if y'all, I see a few nods, okay, well, there's another saying that says, some Christians are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good, which is Paul, he's neither. Paul is actually quite balanced in, in his life and his spirituality. Uh, he's both very practical and he's very spiritual. Um, on, on, the, on the one hand, he knows that God will deliver them, okay? Very spiritual. But being very practical, he he also knows that if they don't eat something soon, they will all die. And so here they are. Paul takes the moment now to publicly pray and to thank God for his goodness and for the simple meal, um, they all eat, and then a short time later, they run aground. They run aground on a little island called Malta, and as they, they get to shore, something else unexpected happens. They are warmly greeted by the islanders, okay? Now, when we say islanders, uh, that doesn't mean, you know, that these guys were savages, and they're walking around in, in loincloths and carrying clubs. Or, it, it just means the locals, so the locals welcome them, and, and this is a group of people with their own set of beliefs. Malta is an unreached place for Jesus Christ at this point, and so they come to the table, literally, with their own set of beliefs, and they build a fire, and Paul, I think just being a guy, uh, does what, what we like to do with a fire, right? He reaches over, grabs a stick out of a pile, and goes to throw it into the fire, and a, a viper, meaning a poisonous snake, attaches to Paul's hand. And the islanders see this, and they freak out, right? They lose it. There's a connection here between what is happening and what they believe, uh, spiritually speaking. And so they say, look, our goddess of justice is judging this man. She's punishing this man for the sin of murder. Now, I don't know how you get from a snake to murder, but this just fits their belief system. But Paul shakes the snake off into the fire, and nothing happens to Paul. He doesn't swell up. You know, he doesn't turn purple. He doesn't, you know, keel over. Paul's fine. And these islanders are in awe. They're in absolute awe because they are seeing for the first time the miraculous power of God. Looks like God's got somebody else's attention here. Well, the, uh, the ruler of the island, kind of like the governor of the island, then invites them over. Uh, He wants to receive them as well and kind of greet them and care for them. And and as Paul and others go into his home, they discover that his father is really sick. Um, Most likely he is dying from dysentery. Uh, There are a lot of different ways to go out of this world. I would not recommend dysentery. If you don't know what dysentery is, read it. I'm not going to describe it because some of us are going to eat lunch in a little bit. It's a bad way to go. And so Paul prays for me. He places his hand on him and he prays for him in the name of Jesus. And the man is healed. He, he's made whole right on the spot. People hear about it. You know, uh, uh, other locals hear about it. And what do they do? Well, they, I mean, they start bringing people they know that are sick, family members. Paul prays for all of them and they are healed. Y'all, in terms of the scope of what God is doing, this thing is like a Billy Graham crusade. Just people everywhere running into the goodness and the power of God. Well, a few months later, I guess the weather breaks and they all head off to Rome. Uh, Paul connects with a few local believers there. And Paul uses the rest of the time before his trial to speak the name of Jesus. Um, to share who he is, to just just preach the gospel and share one-on-one in little groups, just like Jesus said he would. Through all of that, here Paul is, living the dream, the dream that God put into his heart. And you just get the sense here that here is Paul, and y'all, he is just like a kid in a candy store. It's just a beautiful end, a wild end, epic adventure kind of end, but it's just amazing what happens here. And so the question is, what do we do with this? Um, You know, we are pretty landlocked here. I know y'all think we have water in Colorado. You don't have much. Uh, We're not going to be doing any ocean voyages anytime, any kind of sailing. So so what do we do with all of this? What do do we make of this in our situation? Well, here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to start with God. Proverbs 21.30 says this. It says, there is no other wisdom. There's no other insight or plan that can succeed against the lord now what that means is this when god speaks it count on it when god says it will be when he makes a promise when god has planned something it's going to happen god will always see it through to the very end there is nothing that will stop him god always finishes what he starts okay we like that but god always finishes what he starts even when it seems impossible like it did here for for Paul in Acts 27 and 28. Impossible. What we need to know these days is, is God does impossible very, very well. He is the God of the impossible. He always comes through. Now, moving on to Paul, okay? Paul has actually got two options in the chapter, okay? He can do one of two things throughout the whole story. Uh, The first thing he can do, option number one, is he can absolutely cave into his circumstances. You know, Paul can cower in fear, hit the deck, right? Throw up his hands in despair and defeat. Or Paul can trust that what God has said God's going to do, even when his life is on the line. And so what we see with Paul is, is we see what this man really believes. We, we, we see where his heart is because, y'all, nothing brings out your faith, right? Nothing challenges your faith. Nothing shows who we really are spiritually like crisis and like despair. So for Paul, this, sto- this storm, okay, in other words, this storm is either the bitter end of his life or this storm is nothing more than a backdrop, to what God is doing, to, to God's story. It's, it, 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 it's like a, a movie scene setting, right? That's all it is. And so in the end, what Paul does for us is he models that holding on to God's promises and keeping our eyes on what God is doing is worth everything for you and I as believers. And that's a really challenging statement, is it? Because y'all, some big stuff goes down in our lives. Crazy things at times come our way. But he shows us that. It's it, what, what a great model. Now, having said all that, um, for us, for Cornerstone, we are going into what some people would call a scary time. I talked to a pastor this week, and I said, hey, let me, just a mentor friend I said, hey, let me tell you what's going on at Cornerstone. You know, we're searching for a children's person kind of slowly, just first few st- uh, stages. We're also losing one of our key ministry leaders who has been here for 20 years and has led us in worship. That can be kind of a scary time for us, can't it? You know, it's a a, a big deal. I mean, I know for Marvin, and I'm trying not to make you uh, tear up or me tear up Marvin, but you know, it's an amazing thing when someone has led you in worship. You know, has pointed us to Christ. I mean, some of us have grown up underneath that. I tell you guys, it could be really easy for us to get fearful, right, or to get sour and or to even scatter like chickens. Now, why would I say that? Because it happens, right? I mean, we, who loves change? And if you, and I sort of like it, but, I, but, but not much, okay? I mean, I'm probably the one who likes it the most. It, it, it's hard. It's really hard for us. But there is a better way for you and I during this time. The better way is to keep our eyes not on the wind and the waves, and, and by the way, we're also coming out of post-pandemic, you know, everybody's kind of squirrely and, and, you know, all that stuff, but 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 the way is is not to look at wind and waves, but at the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who has been faithful to this church for how long? 150, what is it, two, three years? Look at the faithfulness of of God to cornerstone. I mean, the, the lifespan of a church is, you know, maybe 50 years, 150 years. And in the West, that's saying something, you know? In the East Coast, yeah, you're still a church planted at 150, no, no, I'm just kidding. But I mean, look at God's faithfulness to us. This same God is faithful and has a plan and a future. We're gonna hold on to the larger story. That God has so much yet that he wants to do that there's a new generation. And so what we wanna do is stay Tuned in to God's plan for us. You know, I, I was praying this this week. I wasn't going to say this, but I will. Um, but I don't. I don't want to be one of those churches that you hear about in hindsight. One of those the the those churches that you know um, God was so faithful to them, but then somewhere along the way they lost heart, or they kind of lost their minds along the shuffle, and God had to go and use somebody else. My prayer for us is, God, keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on using us. Father God, reach Greeley through this church. God, just, just make yourself famous through us. And so here's what, I'm, what I wanna invite you to do. We're gonna do something a little different this summer. Um, I wanna invite you out on June 14th for the first of at least three prayer meetings, okay? Now here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna to get together and we are gonna worship and we are gonna to listen to God. We are gonna be led by God and we together as a church, are just going to pray about what comes next. You know, I've been doing this just long enough to get in trouble in a situation like this, to say, oh, I, I tell you, here's what comes next, here's what we do. I just have a real sense from God that what it's time to do is just to look to him and say, Father God, you are doing something so new and I want to be a part of it. I don't want to mess this up by bending it Steve's way or let a few loud voices in the room take us this way or that way, but Lord, for you to lead your church, for you to do more than we could ever think or imagine. And so we're gonna do that. We are gonna get still and we are gonna know that he is God. We, we are gonna seek first the kingdom of God and just let God add all these things that he would have for us. Like the Apostle Paul, we may end up on an epic adventure. Um, hopefully not this epic, but I will tell you this, in the end, we will look back and we will rejoice in the goodness of God. How we've seen Marvin, together with with, with our staff and and others, build something beautiful that the next person comes and stands, a foundation that they stand on. Does that sound good? All right. Amen. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father God, we love you. And God, I confess, even as I went through the sermon all this week, my, my prayer was, Lord, thank you for my belief but help my unbelief. Lord, I, th- I thank you also that living things grow their entire life. And so we just welcome this time of change. Um, Father, we just ask that you would help us to seek you during this time and to see you at work during this time. God, have your way with this church. And Lord, for everyone out there today who, who heard this message in a little different, a little differently Um, in relation to maybe storms in their life right now, I thank you that, that you are the God of the storm. And Father, you have a purpose for every season of our life. So Spirit of the living God, we invite you to fill us, to direct us, to do great things in and through us for the sake of Jesus, in Christ's name, amen.